Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Dr. Thomas Joseph. Good morning, church. Last night, those of you who were here would um, remember that we talked um, quite a bit about what we should be eating for our health. And uh, we looked at some scientific evidence. We looked at why meat isn't the best thing for us, eggs, dairy, animal products, and uh, summary really, tea, coffee, tobacco, and why it affects our physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. The next five Sundays, starting tomorrow, I'll be present, presenting to those of you who attend the seminars a lot more scientific evidence. Um, because of lack of time, obviously, um, can't do that today. We will focus on what the Bible says, and we'll learn the spiritual reasons um, and, oh, and why we should be careful what we put into ourselves. Today we're going to uh, spend some time on Leviticus chapter 11. Uh, parts of it, and you know the story, so you'll be able to follow. There was great excitement in the air. God had sent them a prophet. And through the prophet Moses, he was going to deliver them from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. Life was very difficult as a slave. You and I don't understand what slavery is. But they had no freedom at all. And their hearts were thrilled as they watched the miracles that God performed. They were awestruck at how powerful and mighty the God who had come to save them was. As they journeyed through the wilderness, he gave them manna. He gave them water from the rock. The manna was yam, I understand. And it was to strengthen them as they went through the wilderness. It was to strengthen them to fight the enemies that they would meet on the way. As we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. So 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Are we nearing the end of the world? Yes, we are. Are we to learn some lessons from Israel and their experience? Yes, we do. The Israel of old failed. Today we consider ourselves the remnant, the Israel of the end of the world, the spiritual Israel. Would that be true? Yes, are we tend to learn lessons from the Israel of old? Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. This is what God wanted for. Israel of old. He wanted them to be the head and not the tail. And he removed 
the flesh foods from them in great measure. Look at what it says here. God might have provided flesh as easily as manna, but a restriction was placed upon the people for their good. It was his purpose to supply them with food better suited to their wants than the feverish diet to which many of them had been accustomed in Egypt. The perverted appetite was to be brought into a more healthy state that they might enjoy the food originally provided for man. So what did God want for Israel? To be victorious. And to be victorious, he wanted them to eat the right kind of food so that they wouldn't be diseased. Exodus 16.31 says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So what did it look like? Coriander seeds. Seed. What did God give Adam and Eve in Eden? Seeds. Interestingly, the food that God gave from heaven did not remind them of mutton chops or chicken drumsticks, did it? It reminded them of seed. Numbers 11, verse 9 says, And when the dew fell upon the camp and the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Why was God upset? He had given them the best food. And they began to weep because they didn't like manna. For ye have wept in the years of the Lord, saying, what, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. It goes on to say, Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils. So is God really happy with them and saying, all right, you wanted meat, I'll give you some meat. Go on, have it. Enjoy. No, you, you understand God is upset. He says, right, I need to teach you a lesson. What you want, you will get. And then you will suffer, and hopefully you'll come turn, turning back to me. And ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Do you see what's happening here? God has given them freedom. He has redeemed them out of slavery. He has given them the best food, angel food. And here they say, Oh, we wish we were back in Egypt as slaves. We would rather be slaves and eat the food of slaves than be God's children and eat manna. What kind of attitude would you say this is? Ungrateful. You're right. Manna was a symbol of who called himself the bread that was given from heaven. Jesus. Manna was a symbol of Jesus. And God was giving them symbolically Jesus to sustain them. Is he the bread of life? He is. And when they rejected manna, they rejected Christ. They rejected the salvation that God had offered them. They wanted to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt. You know what flesh signify? Lust. 
passion, desires to satisfy yourself, to gratify yourself. They rather have that and be slaves. Do you understand, brethren, why the Lord was so, so upset with them? Had they been willing to deny appetite, in obedience to his restrictions, feebleness and disease would have been unknown among them. Their descendants would have possessed physical and mental health. They would have had clear perception of truth and duty, keen discrimination. Where does that come from? In the mind. You don't eat the right food that God has given you. Don't expect to be alert, bright, and with it. And lusted after the flesh pots of Egypt. God let them have flesh, but it proved a curse to them. And then they read from Psalm 78. This is a lovely chapter. Psalm 78. I'm just taking a few verses from there. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Is that getting very clear? How displeased God was with them. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And then we read in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 5, it says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things. So what are these evil things that they were lusting after? Meat. But you know, it doesn't just stop at meat. It stops... It goes on, extends on to everything that is against what God has given us to enjoy. Not just the flesh pots of Egypt. It includes, along with meat, alcohol, tobacco, drugs, and everything that destroys our body. Brethren, I'm going to present to you, you must have already got an idea, a very hard message today. And let me assure you, I have nothing against any of you here. I don't know your personal lives, what you do, what you eat. So I'm not coming to you being judgmental to put you down. That is not what I'm here to do. I want to tell you in all love a message that God has given us. So. Please don't be offended and pray that I can talk to you in love and keep your hearts open because the Spirit of God will speak to us as I present to you the Word. And if you find the Lord is telling you something and if you identify the flesh pots of Egypt in your life, I pray you may have the courage and the humility to ask the Lord to help change. So do you see why they perished? They refused God's recommended diet and provision. They lusted after the flesh pots of Egypt. They were ungrateful. Instead of them becoming a strong, powerful nation, they were sick and enfeebled and obviously could not fight their enemies. Again and again, they went back to the gods of Egypt. 
You know, if you eat the food of Egypt, you will worship the God of Egypt, rather gods of Egypt. And that's what happened. Again and again, they rose up to play. You know, this is the words used after the Baal dancing around the altar of Baal experience. You remember that when Moses came down with the commandments? God had just made a covenant with them. That brings us to the remnant of today, you and I. Are you the Israel of today again? Yeah? Has God brought you out of Egypt? Out of the world? Does he expect you to leave the flesh pots of Egypt in Egypt? Does he want you to eat manna? Does he want you to eat the clear spring water that's coming through the rock? Who is Jesus? He's very possessive, you know. When he made the covenant with you and with me, he said, thou shall have no other gods before me. Is that very clear? For I, the Lord thy God, am a zealous God. He wants you totally, 100%, not 99%, 100%. In Isaiah 43, 1, he says, thou art mine. Would you like to be in such a relationship with someone so committed to you? Have you experienced a revival within you as you've seen the goodness of God towards you? Have you been led out of the bondage of Egypt through the sea? And you know going through the Red Sea was symbolic of baptism, wasn't it? Are you now in the wilderness journeying as God is teaching you lessons? to perfect you. Isn't that what he tried to do with Israel? Are you experiencing how God is fighting on your behalf and defeating your enemies? Just like he did for the Israelites, as long as they were obedient. We read in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. What does he say? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did God take Israel out and say you are going to be a peculiar people? Was that true? He tells the remnant today the same thing. What was God's plan for ancient Israel? Isaiah 43 says, But now thus said the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. So what is Israel being told? They're being reminded that they are created by God, they've been redeemed by God, and they were to gather all the nations and then it says, let them hear and say, let them hear and say, it is truth. So the Israelites were now to tell the nations something. Ye are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I, whom I have chosen. So what was Israel supposed to be? Witnesses for God. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. What were the Israelites supposed to do? To be a witness and tell the world, gather them and tell them that who is the Savior? 
Jesus. Yes? Do you, O oh spiritual Israel, do you have a job to do? Is it similar to this? Yes? Acts 1 8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you for what? And ye shall be witnesses. Do you see the parallels, my brethren? When you see the parallels, you will see what Israel did of old and the mistakes they made and where we are today. So that you and I can learn from the mistakes of the Israel of the past. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be revived. There cannot be any transformation in our lives. Reformation signifies the reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. So does reformation call for a change? A transformation. God calls for a spiritual revival and a spiritual reformation. Unless this takes place, those who are lukewarm, will, who's lukewarm by the way here? None of us? We are Laodicea, aren't we? Yes, we have been called lukewarm. Will continue to grow more abhorrent to the Lord until he will refuse to acknowledge them as his children. Is God requiring a reformation amongst us, brethren? He sure is. He sure is, like he asked ancient Israel. Do you know that our church was organized, the general conference was organized on May 21st, 1863? Seems like a long time ago. 1863. And just 16 days after we got organized as a church, on June the 6th, 1863, just 16 days later, Ellen White received her first major health reform vision. Was that a coincidence? Or was there a connection? Was it purposeful? Just 16 days after we form into a church, God comes to us with a health reform. How long did it take God to start health reform for the Israelites? Not too long after they came out of Egypt, he makes a covenant with them. And then he talks about health. I read again from Councils on Diet. In the light given me, in the light given me, in my opinion, is that what she's writing? No, in the light given me, so long ago, I was shown that intemperance would prevail in the world to an alarming extent and that every one of the people of God must take an elevated stand in regard to reformation in habits and practices. The Lord presented a general plan before me. Check out her language here. I was shown, the Lord presented a general plan before me. I was shown that God would give to his commandment-keeping people a reformed diet, and that as they received this, their disease and suffering would be greatly lessened. I was shown that this work would progress. Did you know 
there's some Adventists who took this very seriously, the health message that came. And there are many who did not bother. We learned yesterday, I showed you some evidence, scientific evidence that's coming through, of the research that has been done. And we find there's a spectrum of Adventists. Some are totally plant-based, or vegan, as you may say. Many others were vegetarian, so they took eggs and dairy. Many others kept eating their meat and their fish. And you would see the results very, very convincing. The plant-based people were the healthiest of all. The ones who had their meat had also their cancers and their heart disease and so on come along. Those who ate plant-based foods lived almost seven years longer. What does this show, brethren? And this came to us 150 years ago. Are you aware of the health message, my brethren? If you're not, then I'm glad at least today you'll come to know. And if you have known and ignored, I would plead with you to take this message seriously. You will see what happened to the Israelites. And let us learn our lessons. Those who have received instruction regarding the evil of the use of flesh foods, tea and coffee, and rich and unhealthful food preparations, I'm repeating what I said last night, and who are determined to make a covenant with God by sacrifice, will not continue to indulge their appetite for food that they know to be unhealthful. God demands that the appetite be cleansed and that self-denial be practiced in regard to those things which are not good. This is a work that will have to be done before his people can stand before him a perfected people. Very clear words, aren't they? They're not ifs and buts. This is exactly how it is. Some say that, look, God doesn't judge me whether I eat chicken or beef, tea or coffee, alcohol or a bit of wine once in a while here and there. I'm not going to be saved because I become a vegan or a vegetarian. This is not a salvation issue. Let me present you some facts, and we'll come back to that question. Is this a salvation issue? 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now, these things happened. These things were our examples. So again, what the Israelites went through is our example. Were they lost? Two, just two, of the 600,000 men, and we don't know how many women and children, but some guess about 2.0 million of them altogether, just two entered the promised land. And the rest were lost. Why? Because they disobeyed. They plainly disobeyed. They lusted after the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, which, which other words you can use is crave, lust after, have a strong desire. What word comes into your mind when I use these words? Have this strong desire. You just can't stop. Have to do it. Have to eat it. Addiction. Exactly, addiction. Addiction is a psychological and physical inability. This is the definition I got out of the dictionary. 
to stop consuming a chemical drug activity or substance even though it causes psychological and physical harm. You know, I've had patients who've come to me and said, Doctor, I just can't stop. I try very hard, but it looks like something is dragging me to these you know, drug dealers to get stuff. I'll do anything for it. I just can't stop myself. I want to stop. I know it's bad. It affects my family. It affects my children. It's ruining me. I just can't stop. This addiction is the same as what the Bible calls the craving of the flesh. I'm not going to teach you much medicine today, but just to give you an idea of where we are going with this. You know, in our brain, we have two major centers. Now, I need to come here, perhaps. Do you see that portion called the prefrontal cortex? That's right behind your forehead. Okay. Now, what that part of your brain does is to help you reason things. It helps you to logically make decisions. Okay, you're, you're going to think it through. If I take this, uh, make this decision, what will be the consequence? If I do this, what will be the consequence? Uh, it is the center where your personality rests. Okay, um, it is a part of your body that controls your impulses. It initiates, it inhibits, it stops you from doing inappropriate things. You know what happens when people get drunk, right? They do silly stuff they wouldn't otherwise do. It's because the prefrontal cortex goes to sleep. Now there's another center here. This portion's here. It's called the limbic system. And the limbic system is a seat of emotion. So prefrontal cortex was where you analyzed, where you could think, you could rationale. And the other center is where you have your impulses, your emotions, your animal passions, your cravings. It is there that you know, stimulus start that makes you want to do things that you crave for. And that center doesn't think, by the way. It sends signals to the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex, no, no, don't do that. That's not right. Stop that. That's not appropriate. That is wrong. That's immoral. Now there's a battle going on between these two centers. Who wins will depend on how strong your prefrontal cortex is. If your prefrontal cortex or your willpower, as some other people put it, if it's strong, it can say, stop that. You're not doing it. But if your prefrontal cortex has become weak because you have been doing the same thing repeatedly and your lim limbic system has got stronger, you are addicted. Am I clear so far? Do you remember how Paul said in Romans 7 verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This inward man is basically your prefrontal cortex. That's your personality. That's who you are. And then he says, but I see another law in my members. Where is this law? Warring against the law of my mind 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Do you understand what Paul is trying to say? I've got another center there. You remember that picture I just showed you? which is a limbic system that is fighting against my will, my prefrontal cortex. And that which I don't want to do, I go ahead to do it. Because this other side of me, the member that is kept me captive, makes me do things I don't want to do. And so when your addiction gets stronger, because you have done the same wrong thing repeatedly. It could be any sin, by the way. Anything. It could be the you know, sin of gossiping. I don't know how many of you have had that experience where you just can't keep it. You, you've got to tell it. You know you're not supposed to. And you don't want to. But then a brother or a sister is next to you and, you know what I heard? And off you go. And then you say, oh, I didn't want to do that. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims in the sense of, am I, are you a pilgrim on this earth? Trying to say, look, th this world is not everything. There are things beyond that we're hoping for, that we're going to. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, the fleshly lusts from your limbic system. So addictions can be alcohol, smoking, drugs, sugar addiction, heard of that? Pornography, perversions, immoral behaviors, inner cravings these are to give pleasure. You know it is harmful, but your limbic system says, go for it. And again, Romans seven nineteen says, for the good that I would, I do not but the evil which I would not, that I do. Do you understand why? Your limbic system, again, is pushing you towards it. So you're asking me, so are you trying to tell us that eating meat is an addiction? You know, there are studies being done because people have very good impressions that possibly is an addiction. Think about it. For the past a few years, let's say, all over the world, people are talking about plant-based diet because research is coming through. We Adventists may be ignorant about it, surprisingly. We should have known it for the past 150 years. But the world, those who do not know God, have started saying, go plant-based. That's the healthiest way of living. But how many are turning into plant-based? People are not able to. It's an addiction. They know it's wrong in the sense for their body, and yet they can't change. Not because they're not convinced of the truth, but because they just can't. There's this craving within them. The moment they smell KFC, and they start walking towards KFC. Can't stop. Their legs just walk there. It has become an addiction. We read from the inspired writings, in countries where there are fruits, grains, and nuts in abundance, flesh food is not 
the right food for God's people. Let me make this clear to you. I can talk to you very confidently because we live in New Zealand. Can you buy fruits and vegetables all year round? Do you starve because there is no plant-based food here? No. Now, just to make it clear, if I were to live or get marooned in an island some, somewhere out in the sea, and those tribal people perhaps I meet, and all they can offer me is some rice and some fish, and I don't know how long I'm going to stay there, if I'll ever be found, you think it'll be okay for me to have fish and rice to live? That's the best there is there. Would that be true? But in New Zealand, do you have any excuse to have to eat fish and KFC? No. I hope you understand. God is a very reasonable God. There are situations where he has allowed us to have clean food. Would that be right? Yes. So I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about us being in New Zealand who have no problem with getting the best Yes, they are spread, then grow your own. We can grow our own vegetables, can't we? So I hope you understand. And what was written in the spirit of prophecy, again, is very balanced and very rational. I have been instructed. What does she write? I have been instructed. This is not my opinion, is what she's saying. That flesh food has a tendency to animalize the nature. You understand what animalized means? How do animals live? They have two impulses, right? One is food, 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 food. The other one, you know. We are not to become animals. God has made us in his image. The food that we eat is to help us focus on him and to glorify him. Not to drag us down to the level of animals. And this is what she has written. Would you believe this is being proven today by science? I'll show you evidence. We know that a reason why Israel went away from God is because of the flesh pots of Egypt. And look at this. If the stomach is not properly cared for, the formation of an upright moral character will be hindered. The brain and nerves are in sympathy with the stomach. Erroneous eating and drinking results in erroneous thinking and acting again. If you're interested, I'll show you evidence from scientific research that there's a connection between what's happening in your gut, what you're putting in there, and your brain. Heard of the gut-brain relationship? Heard of microbiomes? The meat diet is a serious question. Shall human beings live on the flesh of dead animals? The answer from the light that God has given me, no. Decidedly no. So I ask the question, is meat eating a salvation issue? If you eat meat, sorry? No, I agree with you, brother. God doesn't judge us what we eat. It is not a salvation issue. Very true. I hope I have not been giving you that impression that if you eat chicken, you won't go into heaven. I hope I haven't given you the impression that if you have cheese, 
you will not enter into heaven. Please know. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our works. We cannot do enough good, like not eating meat and not eating eggs, to get enough brownie points to get into heaven. If that was true, I didn't need Jesus, would I? We are saved. As we read in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Brethren, we are not to ask the question, is meat a salvation issue? Because it is not. The question is whether my lifestyle choices reflect my relationship and commitment to Jesus. The question is, is this a relationship issue? My relationship with my Jesus. Sounds a bit harsh, but this is a reality. You know, think about this. Jesus tells us that he wants a commitment, a hundred-person commitment from us because he's made a covenant with us. He says, I want you to eat manna. This is the best food for you. It's going to help our relationship. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be mentally sharp and wise. Spiritually, you'll be connected with me. You won't be kind of in a cloud, unable to connect with me. And you say, but I want the flesh pots of Egypt. Tell me, brethren, how is such a relationship going to go? I love you, but I don't think... Um, I'm too convinced about this flesh pot of Egypt and need for manna and all that so much. I get tired of eating the manna that you give me. Brethren, it's about the relationship. It's about my commitment. It's about how much I love him. His love for me was so much that he was willing to give his life on the cross for me. I can live eternally because of what he has done for me. And I say, what wondrous love is that, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is that, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? An unworthy, ungrateful, disloyal, unfaithful, self-centered sinner like me. So how much do I love him? How far am I going, willing to go to make sure that my relationship with him is the best. Best as it gets. If there's anything hindering me from communing with him, if anything hinders me from understanding his word, would I give that away? How far will I go? Will depend on how much I love him. And again and again, we get this from Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's about my relationship. Again, I say, don't become a plan-based person because you want to be saved and go to heaven. No, 
your salvation doesn't depend on what you eat. But I have chosen to do maximum I can to make sure that my mind is clear, I'm strong, and I'm able to understand and listen to him. Because it's all about my relationship. The Word of God says in Mark 12.30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. What is strength? Power, might, force, physical, mental strength. Would that include all of that? And if I don't have strength because of my poor lifestyle choices, how am I loving him with all my heart? Anything, anything that lessens physical strength and feebles the mind and makes it less capable of discriminating between right and wrong, we become less capable of choosing the good and have less strength of will to do that which we know to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, in Revelation 14, 7, we know this pretty well. Fear God and give glory to Him. How do we give Him glory? Did we not read that verse yesterday? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, we need to glorify him in these ways. We are living in a time when a high priest is still in the most holy place. We know he's going to come out someday. He, this is a day of atonement for us. And when he comes out, he will pronounce these words, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. And then we read, and behold, I come quickly. So when Jesus pronounced these words, has he already come? No, he hasn't already come. He tells these words before he comes, when probation closes. Are you with me still? probation closes, that is the judgment hour is over, then he comes, not immediately, there's some space. What happens in that time frame? The plagues fall. Yes? The plagues fall. And what are we to do before probation closes? We read in Titus 2, 11 to 13, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So now is the time for us to set things right. Would that be right? Yes? We read that... Jesus does not change our, does not change the character at his coming. The work of transformation must be done now. The daily lives are determining our destiny. So what we do now counts. Many are deceiving themselves by thinking that the character will be transformed at the coming of Christ. 
but there will be no conversion of heart at his appearing. Our defects of character must here be repented of, and through the grace of Christ, not by ourselves, through the grace of Christ, we must overcome. While probation shall last, Jesus also says in Revelation 21, 3.21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my house. Do we have to overcome? Overcome what, my friends? What is he asking us to overcome? The sins in our lives. The addictions in our lives. Would that be true? Yeah. And if we don't do that, we are not ready to meet him. Now, do you want to live a lifestyle that's going to help you be stronger to fight the struggles that you may have? Do you want to be stronger so that you can be perfected by Christ? How far will you go to make it possible? Would you sabotage your chances by getting involved in lifestyle practices that drag you down? Would that be a wise thing to do? Do you see why this is important? What you eat, how you live? We'll be closing soon. I thought I need to finish the story in Numbers 11. While the people were rebelling, they wanted the flesh pots of Egypt and not the manna. Not all were rebelling. And as Moses talked with God, so he was tired. He said, I've had enough. Kill me now, he says to God. You'll read that in Numbers 11. He's tired of this constant rebellion. And look at what happens next. Number 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand before there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. So what's happening here? While a group of people are rebelling, there's another group that God is calling to him to come to the tabernacle. He was going to talk to them, and he was going to put a spirit upon them. Do you see the contrast? Two groups. One desiring the flesh pots of Egypt, and another being called by God so that he can use them as his messengers, his prophets. We read, And Moses went out and told the people the word of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them around the tabernacle, all around it, in very close to God in his presence. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it upon unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. President, I'd like to compare that with the last days. What do you think is going to happen? There'll be two groups among God's people. You remember the sheep and the goat? Remember the foolish virgins and the wise virgins? Yes, the wise ones. And what happens here is the same. There are these who are chasing 
the flesh pots of Egypt, and there are those who are seeking God, and the Spirit is being poured upon them, and they go and prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? Take God's message, the three angels' messages. That's what's happening. And here is something else going on. Moses says, you know, there were, there were two men of them who had been in the camp and they hadn't come in for whatever reasons. And they were also recipients of the Holy Spirit and they began to prophesy. And Joshua got quite upset about it and tells Moses, Moses, forbid them, tell them not to do that. And this is what Moses says unto them, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. He says, I wish, I pray, that every one of us had received the spirit of God. In other words, I had prayed that people wouldn't go chasing after the flesh pots of Egypt. And then in Numbers 11:31 says, And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, uh, it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Who are these people who are receiving the plague? The ones who wanted the flesh pots of Egypt. Brethren, we are living in very solemn times, very solemn times. And we need to remember that the stories of old were symbolic. It applies to us in our last days. The health reform I was shown is a part of the third angel's messages and is just as closely connected with it as are the arm and hand with the human body. Remember last yesterday night, we talked about how the third and three angel's messages are connected with the um, health reform and how we can approach people by sharing with them of what God has told us. And those who prophesy will use this. You know, that 70 that we talked about, we like them will go out and prophesy. It says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Basically saying, Give up your sins. And if you want help, follow what God has told us, how to be strong physically, mentally, and spiritually. I close with these words. You know, Moses, as he was about to go away, he spoke these words, perhaps very painfully and very passionately. And I think he still speaks to us today. I call heaven and earth to record this against you, that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Beloved, let us choose life today. Let us choose what God has given us, and he will richly bless us. Amen. This message was made available by the Masterton Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit masterton.org.
sda.nz. Victory in Jesus by New Hearts for Christ. Coming up next, the Galkin Evangelistic Team will sing Faithful God. Faithful 
This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.